Welcome to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, with your host, Vanessa. On this podcast, we talk about who your coach is when the name tag comes off. What makes this coach tick? How did they get started? And what kept them going? What coach inspired them? Do they have any passions outside of coaching? And most importantly, what do they want their legacy to be? Tune in to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. Welcome back to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, Why Coaches Are Humans Too. On this podcast, we interview coaches across the nation to find out who they truly are and what makes them tick. You guys, I'm a little biased, but we definitely have an extra special guest on with us today. His name is Sean, and he's from the one and only San Antonio Lifetime at the Rim. That's where I'm at, of course, so that's what it makes it best. Sean, you're not from San Antonio. I hear you're straight up from Scotland, not right? Not necessarily. <laughs> uh, so, so a lot of people get that impression just because of the big red beard, the hair, um, which ironically, like, didn't start happening until like the last three years like I've always had blonde hair and I don't know what happened like I went straight up like Scottish in a matter of years Um, but I'm actually from uh, like the suburbs of Chicago nobody knows what I'm talking about what town I'm from when I say it so I don't even bother so it's like a suburb of Chicago it's about 45 minutes south of Chicago okay now you have to say it where is it just Uh, for the chance huh Beecher. Beecher okay Okay, and this is a small farming town, right? Yes, very and small. every time I picture a farm, because again, this is kind of like what I would do if I had a farm, I always picture like 10 dogs, five cats, all of the animals. Do you, coming from a farming town and, and being on a farm, do you have an animal right now? Lots of dogs? So you've been to Beecher, because no. that's exactly what it's like. No, I've never been to Beecher. <laughs> so it's. It's very, if you, like, what I say with Chicago, you think of, like, skyscrapers Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But when you actually go into Beecher, there's corn, there's beans. (laughs) It's straight up like a farming town. Like, there's combines. um, We're baling hay. Like, I used to bale hay every summer. Okay. Um, But we had, so we had, like, cows in a pasture. Okay. Um, We had rabbits in, like, the cages. We had barn cats. Okay. We had a few dogs. A few of them were just like strays, but... And currently you don't have a dog though now, right? No. If you had to have a dog, what kind of breed do you love? A husky hand down. Okay. So then you're my people because my dog, Kona, is a Shiba Inu shepherd mix and he straight up looks like a little husky. Nice. He's like 15 years old by now, but he acts like he's still (laughs) two years old. Um, I really actually wanted a Siberian Husky and then come to find out because they're pack dogs, they're considered to be an aggressive breed. So when I was trying to get approved for an apartment uh, dog, they did not allow me just because it said Husky. So I thought that was really interesting. So I got around it, got the Shiba Inu. I had never even heard of the Shiba Inu mix. It actually wasn't until I went to PetSmart, like maybe having him after three or four years where someone was like, you have a Shiba Inu. I was like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? <laughs> what did you just call me? And she was like, a Shiba Inu. And I was like, I've never heard of that in my life. What are you so talking about? I had, I had a Malamute Husky mix. Okay. 
She was pure white, yeah. um, huge dog. Like I think she was like 80 pounds. Okay, um, it's huge. Yeah, we got around the whole like husky thing because we're like, oh yeah, she's totally just like an Alaskan male view. But <laughs> we had more of a problem with people like, like she looked like a, like a wolf, which mm -hmm. I love that. Um, nobody else did. Right. Like, everybody thinks she, uh, like everybody else was like, oh, she kind of looks scary. Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? She's adorable. Like. Like, I snuggle with her, like, every night. <laughs> yeah, there is she this is guy in college that actually had a straight-up shepherd and literal wolf mix. Yeah. It was the most beautiful female dog, but she was huge. Yeah. And it the whole whole moon, the full moon thing, it's, like, actually a thing. Like, they will actually howl and, That's like, awesome. super loud, which I kind of think is super cool. Yeah. Um, I could see where it could get annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what was it like, can you kind of expand a little bit about what it was like to be working on a farm or living on a farm um, from a farm? Yeah, so I mean, it was just a lot of, uh, we live like out, so there was what we called like when you go into town, right? So with town you have school, um, like your workplaces, your restaurants, which I mean, it was a huge deal just for us to get a McDonald's. Um, okay. Back in like 2000, 2001, I think. I don't Did know. you have a Walmart? No, we didn't have wow. any. Wow, that means it's really small. <laughs> we got a gas station with a McDonald's, and I swear to God, it was like the greatest thing ever. Oh my gosh. Um, But like we lived on the Oscars, so it took 10 minutes to get to anywhere. We were about a quarter mile off the Indiana border. Okay. So, I mean, just living there, like you... I mean, you don't start driving until you're 16, right? Mm -hmm. So what are you gonna do when you're growing up there from 10 to the ages of 15? Like you Just have to cause rely. trouble. Right, like you, to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like you have to rely on your parents to get anywhere, which right. resulted in a lot of, like I didn't have that, like, oh yeah, come home when the nights are, lights are on, or when the lights go off, right. kind of thing. Right. Um, it was always just like you had to find something to do so you could play like basketball in the driveway with your brother and when you bounce the basketball every time the basketball goes and ricochets off because you're playing air and gravel like it's it's things that nobody else thinks about and it's super annoying and then you think back to that and you're like grateful yeah like oh i don't have to deal with that anymore so you mentioned um throwing bales is that correct yeah i used to bale hay okay. like every yeah. okay what does that even mean because i'm from austin so we're okay. i'm not talking farmer talk so talk me through some stuff that was like true farm chores okay so think about like wheat right okay so hay <laughs> you put it through a hay baler mm -hmm. and it comes out in like rectangular blocks okay <laughs> each block is about has to be like a hundred pounds. No, nah, I mean I think it's like fifty. Okay. Like now that I think back to it, it wasn't that bad. And I like remember, like I was a skinny kid back. But it's shaped I was, weird, right? No, they're just rectangles. So oh, you're thinking like, small. Okay, I'm thinking like super large. No, no, no. Okay. Not like a, not like a circular. No, no. I was like, you were a strong no. man when you were a kid. No, they're like right. It's what you would feed, like cows and like you would just throw like a hay bale you're fine yeah okay yeah okay um yeah i mean we would do that every summer i'm obviously like the white of the white so <laughs> every every summer i just get burnt right like no matter what right and you can't take your shirt off because you're gonna get hay and it's gonna itch Ugh. for like the next two weeks yeah okay and then 
I could see that. Yeah. Okay. So you have these awesome farming tans that look amazing. A literal farmer's tan? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm a, I know that like a lot of that like farming mentality and that work ethic was definitely like instilled within your personality. But I just recently proposed everyone to take their Myers-Briggs personality test. Um, and I just found it really interesting that one of the most rare personalities, the INFJ personality, um, is actually the majority of our staff right now. I'm not really sure how that happened. Um, I find that incredibly interesting. Um, and if you obviously are aware of the test, you know that there can be kind of like sub, um, sub parts. So like, for instance, Sean is an INFJT, which stands for turbulent, and then I'm an INFJA which stands for advocate. And the INFJ itself stands for introvert, intuition, feeling, and judgment. And I love taking these insights because it, I feel like it really does help with understanding who you're in front of. Um, and then obviously can help with how do we operate, how do we engage with each other. Do you feel like there's something to these tests or do you kind of feel like it's all hoopla? So I took the test and it was almost like one of those things like this is why i am the way that i am <laughs> like, right you're like thank so, god right so it's almost like you're reading about yourself right um, and I, this is totally my experience like some people might have taken this test and they'd be like yeah this is crap mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. but from my experience um it got me like spot on and i was kind of offended because we called <laughs> Um, it called you out. Right. It, it crazy <laughs> called me out. Right. So, I mean, when you're thinking about how you are, especially since an INFJ is supposed to be like one of the most rarest personality types, however true that may be, mm -hmm. um, you're different from a lot of other people. And it can be translated into why am I different to why, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Why do I think the way that I do? Why am I, why is my like empathy on a crazy, complete different level than mm -hmm. everybody else? Like somebody could literally be crying in front of me <laughs> and it's just, it's just like, why is this so? <laughs> it hurts you, It hurts your soul. Right. Like you can feel other people's feelings. And I feel like just about everyone that I've interviewed thus far has felt like they um, categorize themselves as an empath or an introvert with a selected extroversion um, whenever they need to be performative, right? right? Like in certain situations, if we're training one-on-one, -on -one, then it feels a lot easier to be a little bit more like pull outside of ourselves, right? Or maybe even with the class, we feel like we're on a stage. Um, but I definitely resonate with that thought process of like, you read some of it and you're like, okay, yeah, that's a duh moment. Like I'm definitely that person. Um, but even more so, it was very much affirmation and just feeling seen and being like, oh, I'm so glad that someone actually understands the way I tick so that I can pull my thoughts out and just know that I'm probably not alone. I may be rare and I might not meet as many people, which is why I think it's so freaking cool that we have so many people here that are categorized as an INFJ just so that um, you have this sense of, of just understanding and ease so that you can be like, okay, they're not being quiet, they're just noticing. Or they don't, it's not that they don't like me, it's just that they're studying. 
right? So, like, that was one of the main things that one of our newer trainers, Emma, was saying. She's like, I'm not quiet. I'm just noticing the details, right? I'm just studying. So what do you think is one thing that after getting that report back really helped you with yourself, like self-awareness in general? I got to stop people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, people pleasing has always been like, I'm, I'm very afraid of not very afraid. I, I don't like conflict. Okay. But if I'm pushed to a certain point, I hit that moment where I'm just like, all right, take nothing from nobody. Like, if you're going to disrespect me, then I'm done, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it takes me a long time to get there, but once I am there, that's it. Yeah, and I'm just done. Um, That's helped me a lot. And also just stop losing little pieces of yourself to somebody else. Mm-hmm. If somebody is actively taking parts of your enjoyment and the worst the worst thing ever is when you are super excited about something and somebody can look you dead in the eye and be like, I don't get it. Like, that's kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Like, that takes all the energy out and then being a people pleaser, it's almost like, oh yeah, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. But you don't actually feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest takeaway is just like, I am me for the reason that I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and creating boundaries because right. when you have, you're allowed to be excited about whatever you want to be excited about. And you can't allow someone's opinion about what you want to invest your time or energy in. Mm-hmm. I've just had this happen recently where I was really proud to talk about something that I was involved in. And someone was like, literally laughing about something that I was choosing to spend my own time where I wasn't getting paid and they're like I just don't understand why we would ever do that and there will there will naturally be instances where people just don't get it but I think that being unapologetically yourself and being able to be loud and proud about things that you're proud of being invested in um you should always be that way I feel like you should always be able to surround yourself that um, people with you're comfortable with and people that you're uncomfortable with and be able to speak on what really feels good in your heart about what you choose to spend your time in. But one of the biggest things is, is somebody is super passionate about something like that. All you, like it, you don't have to bring them down. Right. You don't have to say like, oh, I don't like whatever. That's weird. Like you can still say, you know, I don't get it, but I love that for you. Like, it brings me a lot of, like, when I see you this way, when I see you this happy, that makes me happy. But not everybody wants to see you winning, and that's kind of the problem, is that there are some people that would love to see you losing, and they don't think that success is, they don't think there's enough success to go around for everyone, so typically their reaction, it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them, and their shortcomings or their deflection of lack of, of you know, uh, succession, right? Right, and, and we could talk about, like, the different narcissistic personalities <laughs> and stuff, you know, that, that plays into that. But yeah. once, and I think, and even because you're an INFJ, mm-hmm. and I'm not, like, purely saying, like, oh, yeah, this is why we are the way we are because sure. of these four letters, but right. we have an easier time with picking up on that and mm-hmm. reading through the crap Mm-hmm. To the point where we 
look at somebody like that and we're like, I, I just don't want to like associate with you. Right. Like if you're trying to one up me and you're trying to say that the things that I am doing are weird or that you've done better. Mm -hmm. Cool. Like I, I'm really happy for you if you could like not talk to me. I think that that's why it's, I, I love our types of personalities though, just because I feel like there's such a brilliant understanding of understanding wh why they are the way they are and where they're coming from. Right. It can be a little bit to our detriment because we feel bad for people that don't feel at all. Right. <laughs> like we're like, oh, you're that way because you're probably wounded. Or there's like an inner child thing that you're just not really addressing. Or there's a ton of like, there's just a ton of pain there. So I'm just going to go ahead and move on from this conversation because I just don't really feel like it's landing in the way that I want to. So I'm just going to choose to not engage and I'm just going to move on. Because your reaction from my excitement has nothing to do, again, nothing to do with um, me and has everything to do with something that they feel like they're not achieving or missing out on. Right. Um, so speak since we're on the topic about psychology you're in you're still in school correct yeah. Yeah. and you're <laughs> with a big sigh <laughs> what you're t you're actually taking a class that's based out of psychology right yeah it's about spirituality okay. um so some of it is like mental health what uh wellness and how it, the stress that's associated with that mm -hmm. has an effect on the physiological body Okay, so you like want to talk about one of the most interesting topics you've learned so far? Or just like something that you learned that you loved? Um, I mean, I don't have the information in front of me, but I really love diving deep into the things that happen just through anxiety and mm -hmm. the different hormone changes that mm -hmm. you can get from depression. Like it's, yeah. And it's so weird, right? Because for so long we say that these two things are completely different like what you think and your body mm -hmm. are just two separate things and we're we're learning that that's not necessarily true when you uh are dealing with depression when you are dealing with anxiety when you have stuff going on in your life like your body goes through a physiological change and it affects just how your whole body functions just the thoughts like thoughts have that effect on have you studied anything about um, epigenetics yet? No. That's yet. kind of the study. I have, I've listened to quite a few podcasts on that specific topic. And because I know that you know both you and I are very spiritual mm -hmm. and kind of connected in that way, they talk a lot about how um, just basically feelings and sensations and thoughts and beliefs can basically get passed down and stored in our genes in certain spaces within our body. So for instance, like a father wound can be located in your top left shoulder, or there can be something that is caught within your throat or um, certain beliefs. Um, this one particular story, this woman kept having these circulating thoughts as a young woman that didn't make any sense. Like she hadn't really lived a life yet. And she was having these very like limiting and very like suicidal thoughts and all of these different things. Obviously that can come from different places, but the story goes on to basically explain that a lot of her certain verbiage was coming from her grandmother and grandfather. 
and their experience about how the grandfather ended up passing away through a drunk driving incident. I know I'm giving tons of spotty stories, but um, and I'll try to find the podcast and link it into the details. But I thought it was just so interesting because it took a psychologist basically studying epigenetics and finally realizing on the outside space of just like, hey, you haven't ever done these things wrong, that you are continuing to have these thoughts. Like, why don't we understand maybe where these could be coming from? And it was all from the stories that were passed down through her genetics. So right. It blew my mind. So one th- so that kind of ties into, actually, this is another really interesting thing that I had to do a report on. Um, it's a form of, it's like a survival technique, like mm-hmm. a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're stressed out about something, like you're, you know, you have your insulin and you find yourself like more stressed out and anxious, like all that do, is doing is preparing your body, putting it into survival mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that kind of ties into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think this idea that whenever, I mean, we've been around for a while, right? Like mm-hmm. us as a human species, we've been around. So I think that this whole, I don't think that everybody starts off at zero. I, so to your point, I do think that there's some of those memories, if you want to say, mm-hmm. um, that are just like inherited from ancestors mm-hmm. because there's certain things like, I don't know why I would feel this way. Like, I don't know why. So for, so for instance, like personal story, like drowning. Mm-hmm. I've always been afraid of drowning for some reason to the point where I, I haven't wanted to swim. Mm-hmm. I have no reason to be scared of drowning. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. So I wonder if that's something that's passed on through genetics. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it so could be. I don't know. What they would explain that coming from would be one of your ancestors died from drowning or there was like a major incident. So that's basically what the epigenetic story would um and Sue is like uh, an un, how do you say, like an undescribed or undefined fear that has no substantial evidence, right? So like um, a certain pain in certain places. They've they've shown like where your body can even represent certain um, like uh, visual representations even. So it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy stuff. It's something that I'm definitely interested in I'm obviously terrible at remembering details. Right. <laughs> so, I just want to stress how much I'm not qualified to talk about this. Like, I'm starting over. It's an words, interest like, topic. There's somebody that's probably, like, super defined in this one area, and they're just like, who is this idiot? Like, why did, who, who, do you, who does he think he is? <laughs> no. I just think it's fun, it's fun to kind of get into and learn about. Um, so take this, take this as your sign right. to start studying epigenetics. I call it the ghost genes that get passed down. It's really interesting stuff. Um, so I guess, so being on a farm, so kind of back to that piece, being on a farm kind of established some really great work ethic. Um, and then obviously what we were talking about too is just noticing a sense of really well-established self-awareness, um, intuition. Do you feel like you know like where you can pinpoint when that started developing for you? Was it super young? Was it teenage? Um, I think I, I've always had a good work ethic, um, and I think that's just passed on through my father and, like, seeing him work hard, seeing my grandparents work hard, um, 
I mean, when you have a parent that sets like a really good example like that and you don't know any different, like you're just gonna work hard. I mean, when I was 15, um, I started my first job. Like mm -hmm. I was working at a local drive-in. Mm -hmm. And I, I have never had an instance where I've been that guy that sits around on his phone all day anything I I think that that came directly from my father but also kind of well the, the maybe this is how that positively helped me with like the people pleasing but mm -hmm. I wanted others to give me that affirmation that like oh man you're one of my best workers that's you know so maybe that worked as a positive sure but what made you feel like you um what made you stop searching for that need for affirmation or recognition, but still have that great work ethic? Uh, purpose. Okay. So, I'm 33 now. Yep. I, the first, I mean, from like my early 20s to, I want to say about 28, I had no relation to training really at all. Um, I mean, when I was in the army, like I would still train soldiers, but that was like, they were forced to be there, right? Like mm -hmm. I didn't have to connect with them. I didn't have to do any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it was finally when somebody kind of like looked at me and they're like, oh man, like you helped me. Mm -hmm. Like because of you, like this changed in my life for a positive and I'm like, Whoa. All right, yeah. Yeah. Like, whoa, I'm, I'm actually good at what I do. Right. So I think just having the confidence that, oh, I actually, like, know what I'm doing. And people value what I do, which is super important to me. Um, and what? you can stop basing your positives off of just input from everybody else. Right. And sometimes, though, I can definitely resonate with that sensation of, I can't believe I just changed this person's life. And that would be like their words, obviously. Like, you changed my life for the better. Right. Um, we start really, really pouring ourselves into those people um, to the point of where we have nothing left. We even feel like we have negative left, right? We feel like we've almost truly lost ourselves in the sense of needing and wanting to help people. What do you feel, what moment do you, can you recall that you felt like you really lost yourself? And what helped you come back or have a strong sense of self again? So I kind of want to touch on both sides of that. Um, because when you said the question, I immediately thought of like when I was empowered by that. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of explain like two different things with that. Um, so, I mean... People that are in the fitness industry, we have to be competent in sales, right? Um, it's just part of the job. Like a lot of trainers like shy away from it. I personally think that all it is is just talking to somebody and kind of getting them on track. Like, hey, I, I want to help change your life. Like, let me be the one that holds you accountable let me write your pro. All you have to do is show up for an hour, two hours, three hours every week. Mm -hmm. Like, let me do the work. Well, you're going to do the work. Like, you're going to do the work for that hour. But, you know, I, I think that getting a customer or a client that is truly bought in and excited 
about something is the best feeling ever. Um, now when you start watering that down with, they might reject it, you know, the different objections and going into how to handle objections and kind of calling them out on something. Look, if, if somebody doesn't want to train with me, I'm not going to sit there and have a con like a full blown call them out on their life, um, their life decisions. Like that isn't what I do. Um, now on the other hand, something that I felt really empowered by doing is getting into that. So for instance, I had a client, he came in and he's like, Sean, honestly, like today, I just don't want to work out. Mm -hmm. I got some stuff. I, some stuff happened. Like, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, if you want to talk about it, like I'm, I'm here, like I'm just here to listen. Mm -hmm. He just found out that he was having a kid. Um, he was super nervous and like, I have a kid and I remember being nervous. Mm -hmm. We had a straight up 60 minute treadmill session talk mm -hmm. about just like, Hey man, it's all going to be okay. And he was a great client mm -hmm. who, you know, after he left because he eventually got, went on to like the police academy, mm -hmm. but he was like, Sean, like, I appreciate everything that you did. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what really empowers me. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice to be able to have those balance moments where today just isn't that day kind of thing right. where we can be as prepared as possible but I think it's the brilliant trainers that know when to push and when to draw back and just really meet that human in their humanness basically to be able to see we're just not having it today right. and that could be them straight up not showing up and having a safe enough space to say I am so mentally spent right now that it just wouldn't even do you a good service for me showing up I need to take a mental health day mm -hmm. you know um, versus and then being able to explain that to them I was just talking to someone before giving themselves grace right this person had just had major surgery and we all just experienced this major pandemic and a lot of us are just flying right by that right we're not realizing that just because it feels like life is just picking up that we're not sitting with like how that really makes us feel and not really dealing with the weight that it, it is still stored in us this this trauma that happened you know there's big t's and there's little t's right and whatever happened during the pandemic this time last year right there's a lot that can happen so regardless of the pandemic there's a lot of life that happens and i feel like it's just some of the best trainers that know when to say the right things and really sense how to just have that conversational piece of yeah we're all human surprise you know yeah. like let's just do what we can today but what would, what would really benefit you is let's just talk about it right right and he still ended up moving a little bit so that's good too so speaking about clients do you have a particular client that is like one of your favorite success stories to remember and talk about so my boy brian okay <laughs> so so brian we had he was one of those clients that you get in um, you start talking to them, uh, hear lifetime recon call them like onboarding sessions where you just like talk to people and you try to like 
get what their goals are. And I remember he had such a hard time with keeping eye contact. Hmm. Okay. And it turns out that he was so terrified. Like, he didn't know what he was doing in the gym. He mm. didn't know what... He knew what his goals were. He knew, well, he's getting married. Like, he's now getting married... If he listens to this and I get this wrong, I think it's like two weeks from now. Um, he told me, and I have terrible memory. But he's getting married two weeks from now. And time and time again, even him and his fiance, like, soon-to-be wife, had both come up to me, and they're just like, hey... We love everything that you've done. Like, we're feeling more confident now. Like, everything is going great. So just to be able to take somebody who is terrified. And us as trainers, like, we're kind of the people that we know the machines. We know the exercise. We know what you should and shouldn't be doing. Just second nature. But, yeah, but this, right. this dude is going for, like, a doctorate in history. Like, he doesn't know anything about Zero awareness, gym. yeah. Right. So... Just, and I know that he's one of those people that maybe, I don't know, maybe in like 10, 15 years, um, he might bring somebody else to the gym and he's going to be able to teach them what to do, mm -hmm. right? Like he already established those healthy habits. He's coming into the gym now by himself. Um, and just having the ability to make an impact on somebody and just talk them through that, like, Tayshawn, honestly, I'm just terrified because I'm getting married. At that time, it was like four months down the line. But I'm getting married in like four months. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just need help. And they want to be and feel their best self on their best, on one of their more important days, right? right. Is that typically why, what he was saying, why he wanted a trainer too? Right. And not just that, but he, you know, from the pandemic, like, I mean, the common theme is sure. like from the pandemic, everybody's gained weight and mm -hmm. everybody has not been, been through in it. contact with those healthy habits. Right. So I mean that that was one of his biggest barriers for sure. It was just understanding what to do and how to get started with our gym. Since the gym is just obviously not that it's not a barrier for you. What do you feel like is a barrier for you that, you know, exists in your work or your personal life? Uh, that work-life balance is a tough one. <laughs> do you actually believe that work-life balance exists? Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, it has to. Like, you... So, being... Being in the military, you are always pushing, right? Like, you are always on call, working, um, doing your job, and then you get out, and it's it's a good work ethic, mm -hmm. but when you have a family waiting at home for you, and they're expecting, you know, you to come home and be a family, and you're just on that grind all the time, what is really, what's the most beneficial? And some families can deal with that. Like, some families are all good with that. Like, they can be completely separate and be happy in life, but there's a lot of families that aren't, right? So just being able to say, hey, maybe today I'm not going to work 13 hours. Like, maybe today when I get home from work, I'm going to have enough energy to take the kids to the zoo and surprise them. Or I'm going to 
take the wife out to dinner or, you know, just come home from work and be energized to spend time with your family. If you're working so much to the point where you're just looking, you're dying for that day off, but the only thing that you do on that day off is lay in bed and recover, like you might need to reassess your work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I can speak to this because I'm a victim, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say like, what do you feel like is a stopping point where you can start recalibrating yourself and knowing you're kind of edging on that too much poured out kind of um, visual, I guess. You know, we look at each other as a cup, right? So, like, if our cup is full, we can pour into others. If our, if our cup is depleted, um, then we can't really give to others best. But how do we get to such a self-aware point where we're saying, okay, pause. How do we calibrate that I need to pause and figure out how to fill my cup before I start getting empty? So if you're, well, like I said before, right? Like if you're looking for that weekend, if you can't wait for that weekend to come and all that you do on that weekend is just sit in the bed, watch YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, That's a warning sign. Right, that right. is definitely a warning sign. Um, and again, like <laughs> I've been there. So, you know, I've had different addiction problems as far as YouTube and video games and it all kind of stemmed from a part where I just didn't want to get up like I was worn out and all I had to do was get into a chair or flip on my phone and I could be entertained I wasn't making any goals I wasn't striving towards those goals I wasn't mm -hmm. and also a, a big thing that I used to do was is this sustainable like if you're looking at your behavior mm -hmm. and you know, you're always going to school and you're three weeks behind consistently on class or you're uh, not paying attention to your family or you're spending 13 hours on the computer playing video, like is that really sustainable? Is that gonna work for the rest of your life? And then you have to reassess like, well, if this isn't sustainable, then what do I have to do? Like, do I stop now? Do I stop listening to my ego and finally try and like find my true self mm -hmm. and just, you know, because I mean, we could go into that conversation about like it and ego. I was ego. just going to say, like <laughs> you hit, you definitely hit a good, a good piece there talking about ego and self-expression and your most authentic self and your highest self, right? Like all of those things are different, right? And I just feel like, um, again, either, either you have a tribe that is genuine and honest enough to be like, hey, what is going on? You know, and being able to kind of pull you out of those moments where you do disappear too often, where like, I can speak from experience there. I'm working with a life coach right now just because I want to see one. I want to see just like how a life coach experience is. But one of the things that we are talking about is why do I feel the need sometimes to just literally shell up and disappear for a while to re re energize. And there's this thin line between 
yes, it's healthy to be in solitude, and no, it's you're you're having an escape tactic for being too draining, and you're not pausing when you really need to refill, yep. and listen to how to really support yourself in a healthier way. Um, why do you want to achieve the things that you want to achieve? So talking about ego, like, is it more of just an achievement standard? Is it just so that you can say, I am this, or I have achieved this, or because your family passed down the expectation of needing to be here, or once I have enough money, I will be worthy of love, exception, acknowledgement. Like you have to really start dialing into these beliefs that you're feeling and where are they coming from? Do they come from your family? Do they come from education system? Do they come from your partner, your tribe that you're surrounding yourself with? Um, every now and again, taking that moment of realizing, do I even really want this job? Like, do I want this promotion? Do I really want this degree? Um, that's the moment that I feel like really unwraps why we recover or why we cope, like a lot of coping mechanisms, right? You were touching on it before. Um, how do you feel like that you have overcome certain coping mechanisms? Like, was it someone that drew you out of those things? Or what? at what point were you like, enough is enough? Rock bottom. Okay. Eventually, you get so tired of your own stuff um, that you're just, you're kind of like sick of yourself. Um, so, when I got out of the military the first time, I hit a pretty heavy like depressive state mm -hmm. um my daily regiment was gone my friends were gone you know as, as much as you complain because everybody does it right like everybody in the military is always going to complain about what they do but you this is when you your, came home or when you were still in the no, military no when i like got out of the military right the okay time. got it um so like everybody is going to complain but at least you're complaining together now you get now you don't have anybody Mm -hmm. Right, so you get out, everybody's moved away, mm -hmm. um, nobody keeps in contact anymore, I mean, at least that was my experience. So I hit a very, I found my friends through, um, like a computer, through video games. Yeah. And I needed to hit that rock bottom where my girlfriend left me, where I didn't have anything um, like anything left and just sit there and look at myself and just be like I am so sick of this like this isn't even like adding to my happiness whatsoever like I need to figure this out um, so as much as it sucks hitting rock bottom I think that's one of the best things that's ever happened to me mm -hmm. um, and it sucks saying that because that is not all happy thoughts. That is not, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I don't talk about hitting rock bottom mm -hmm. with a situation that happened to me as a happy moment whatsoever. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of nights where I didn't know if I was going to make it. Mm -hmm. um, I, but it's in those moments where, you know, no matter what your spirituality is, no matter if you're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, you know, I, I don't care. Um, you start dipping into your spirituality and like, why, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I need to do to become the best version of myself? Mm -hmm. And it's really shocking because when I, 
when I go up to people and I talk to people and sometimes like my past will come out, right? Not, not with everybody. Like I don't, I don't tell everybody that information, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but when it comes out there, like I would have never thought, like I would have never thought that you were in that situation. And mm-hmm. I just, yeah, but it was necessary. Like I, I had to go through that to figure out who I was. I needed to stop giving a piece of myself to everybody else besides me. Um, because eventually I didn't have anything left. Um, yeah, I that reminds me a lot of this quote that it, there is a mess there's a message in your mess and I think that like it's it's hard saying that everyone has to get to a moment like that but I guess just speaking from experience of feeling like you literally lost everything meaning like for, I'll just talk from personal experience. My my moment was leaving Golds, and my job I tie very heavily to why I even exist. And anytime that you say the statement "I am," and whatever follows is incredibly powerful. So like, I feel like I just totally intertwine my being, my purpose, my why with my job. So there was no there was no separation. And so since I lost, oh, I didn't lose the job. I left because I felt like I was hitting a ceiling and not being able to be developed anymore with that company. But that's neither here nor there. It was more of just, did I just waste my life for the last seven years bleeding for this company that didn't, it just didn't matter anymore. Right. Is this all I'm good at? Is, was I ever good at it to begin with? Should I still do it? If I don't do it, then what now? Like asking all of these why and how and when questions. And I felt like it just didn't even like matter anymore. Like nothing mattered anymore. And I felt like a lot of my time and investment in my career was like, what the heck happened? Like how did I just lose myself for that many years and have nothing to show for it? I left the company. The company didn't care. They'll fill your space the next day. And so I just kind of had this like, and who am, I, who am I surrounding myself with? And what do I have to show for it? Just all of these like rushing questions. And I feel like a lot of these people too, like from the pandemic, they all kind of, we all, a lot of us experience those types of questions. And I think what really started to pull me out of it was hearing people like right now, just speaking their stories and being like, okay, people have experienced this and overcame it. And then when they're able to share their message from their mess, then it allows them to show themselves a little bit of a grace period, to show grace and patience and realize that it'll come. You just have to get up. Like you have to get up and you have to just start moving in some type of direction and try to find some type of sense of light and whether or not that means that I'm someone's light now when I was in such a dark place, it just gives that sense of like understanding and support that um, I, I know I had to be brought that low because I know that my words will reach somebody just like you were saying. My words will reach somebody and then they will help them. And I see it every time that I get to connect with people. They're like, you, you just have this sense of being, this eye connection or this sense of safetyness that you provide just by being who you are. Um, and that's not 
something that's light, like that you should really appreciate that your being literally changes lives. But what you said before was, and I've kind of like stuck onto that, like one thing that you said, it was just get up. Yeah. Like there's so many times where you are stuck in this moment where you just, you want to sit there and it's almost like you want to sit there and be anxious. You want to sit there and come up with fake scenarios in your head of why something wouldn't work. There's a sense of comfort sometimes because we're used to the chaos and we're used to the anxiety. And we've been there so long that it just feels like home, you know? Yeah. And I think just by, like, just get up, you're able to finally put some action to those feelings. Mm -hmm. And, like, put that into... I mean, at least start the process. Um, I feel like if it's people, it's either a people, it's either a person or it's a purpose. I feel like sometimes it can dig us out. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that one of those persons for you is your daughter. Yeah. Right? So you mentioned before, when we've talked before, that your daughter, of course, naturally, completely changed your life. Mm -hmm. How did she change your life? So, so when you have, first of all, you're never ready. Like I was. <laughs> you say you're never ready. Like you're never ready. Okay. Um, oh, ready. So okay. I was, uh, what was I, 32? No, I'm 32 now. 31. I was track. Um, so I'm 31 now. Or I was 31 when Faith was born. I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> Well, when are you going to be ready? Like, right. when is when is the right time to like? There is no right time. Bring, you know, you know, and you know, I was married. I was doing it. You know, it, everything was kind of like so. Um, but, and you're always going to get those people where they're like, "Oh man, your life is over, bro. Like, you're you're not going to be able to go out. Like, you're going to deal with sleepless nights. You're gonna. This is going to be the worst experience of your entire life. Hope you're ready. And. So you go through that nine months, um, like worrying to death about like, oh man, am I gonna be worthy? Like, am I gonna be worthy? And then all of a sudden it happens. And you hold your kid for the first time and you're like, Holy this is me. This is a copy of me. <laughs> and like I would, I can't remember who, Oh, it was, it was Ryan Reynolds. He was like, I would, I would put my, I would throw my wife in front of a moving bus to save my child. And I, I mean, there's a little, I'm not saying that, but it's, it's that feeling where like, I would run through a wall if something was happening to my daughter with no regard for my self-safety. Um, and just looking at somebody else, another human being, and being able to say, like, I would do anything. Like, I would sacrifice anything to make sure that you're okay and to make sure that you are better than I could have ever been. Um, that has definitely changed me. I, and now looking back, I, I couldn't imagine my life without it. Mm-hmm. So one song that always gets me in the feels is like a daddy-daughter song. So I have to ask, what what is one song that reminds you of your daughter? So, so there's this one song. 
so when her mother got pregnant, like I was in Honduras. I was I was deployed to Honduras. So basically, I didn't find out that she was until like I was a week in, right? Like, oh hey, surprise! Like this happened. Um, okay, so so I remember we were talking about names, and I was at the gym, and this one song, Amaryllis, came on, and it was kind of like a funny moment because like my her mother is Latina, um, and I'm like, well, what about like. Amarilla, and she, and she was like, no. <laughs> so, so it's just like a really funny, but it's just because of the way that the words stuck in my head. So, so it's a song by Shine Down, and it's called Amarillas, and it's just. So do I remind you of someone you never met, a lonely silhouette, and do I remind you of somewhere you want to be, so far out of reach? I wish you'd open up for me because I want to know you, Amaryllis. Mm -hmm. And that song ironically played like right when I was, you know, we were talking about like me having a daughter. And those lyrics mean a lot when you are stuck, deployed somewhere for the next nine months. Mm -hmm. um, and all you wanted to do was be there. So every time I hear that song, it, it's literally just like... It's right in the heartstrings. Yep, every time. So having a daughter, you also have a son on the way. Um, these last couple of questions, I always like to think about like what you would teach them. Or obviously we're teachers because we have clients. Um, and just you know things that you live and die by. Mm -hmm. So we call it the three truths. So what are three truths that you feel like you know to be true? Treat everybody respectfully, but on top of that, demand the same. Mm -hmm. You are not a punching bag. You don't have to be a punching bag. Mm -hmm. You don't have to put up with anything. Mm -hmm. um, you deserve better than that, and that's just, like, you don't have to be treated like that. Um, but also on that other end, like, when you meet somebody, make sure that you're treating them with the same welcoming presence that you would want from yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a big believer in working silently. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be my second truth is don't broadcast your plans and your processes to the rest of the world because you never know who's listening. Mm -hmm. um, just put actions to the words. Mm -hmm. Like you can talk all day about what you're gonna do, but if you never accomplish those things, like why even bother? Mm -hmm. So work silently. Um, and I think a big one is you are better than your past. Um, if you are young and like just starting out with your life, you're gonna make mistakes. That's the only way that we learn, like no matter how much mom and dad warn you about something that could happen, it's gonna happen. Um, and again, like I, I hope that that doesn't happen to somebody. Like mm -hmm. that's, I hope that they don't have to go through that. 
but just make sure that you are stronger on the other side of that. Make sure that you understand like, wow, um, that was crazy. So now it's time to realign. Like <laughs> now it's time to change processes um, and just learn from your mistakes. But also don't be so harsh on people that have a past either. Right. Like we all have things that we're not proud of. We have all have things that we wish that we could just rewind the tape and just take it all back, but mm-hmm. we can't. Right. Now, a long, long time from now, we're going to leave this earth. You may even leave lifetime and do different things. So when your essence is gone, when your being is gone, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for? I want to be the helper. Okay. What does that mean to you? Uh, I want to be that guy that no matter in any situation, and I'm talking even from like a father perspective to a friend perspective to even like if I don't even know you that well mm-hmm. and you need help, I want somebody to be able to come up to me and ask for guidance. And if I can't offer that or if I'm not even qualified to do that, just help. Like, hey, I need, I need to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be remembered for just being there for somebody with no strings attached Mm -hmm. and just like you needed help all right cool like I'm that's what I'm here for Mm -hmm. that's what I was put here for well Sean I just want to acknowledge your your vulnerability your humanness your work ethic um, and just your overall presence Uh, for being here it's fun to have these opportunities in person I don't ever get that opportunity so thank you for overcoming your (laughs) nerves (laughs) and joining me today do you want to share anything else with our audience before we leave today uh just be yourself um I went through a long time where I wasn't confident with myself. I didn't think that I had much to offer or that people looked at me negatively. Um, You are you for a reason. Mm -hmm. If you are the kind of person like I was when I was a kid Mm -hmm. where I would get emotional very often, (laughs) um, looking back at that, I'm really glad that I am that person. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I'm empathetic. I'm really glad that somebody can look me in the eyes and just just let it go. Mm-hmm. Like, no judgment. I'm just here for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I think that I was made that way for a reason. Mm-hmm. So just be yourself. Don't change for anybody. Like, don't compromise who you are. I love that. I resonate with that, obviously, because we are very similar in that way. I think a lot of sometimes the things that we think are shortcomings are actually our blessings in disguise. So thank you guys so much for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, where coaches are humans too. I appreciate every human and their journey, and I hope to continue to connect and shed light on how uniquely beautiful we all are. Our differences are what make us unique, but it's our humanity that brings us together. Stay healthy, my friends. This is your host, Vanessa, signing out.
Thank you so much again for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We are broadcasting on anywhere you can find other podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and of course, Anchor, where we're recording this podcast now. If you really loved it, which I'm sure you did, we would appreciate a five-star review and a share with all of your friends. Until next time, this is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Stay healthy, my friends.